turn in your Bibles to John 10. And today, I'm going to be eclectic. I want to be kind of all over in the Bible as we wrap up the fourth part of our series on Can a True Believer Ever Be Lost? And uh, today, we'll be looking at a different tr uh, aspect of the truth. Uh, we've been looking at God's part in keeping you, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And uh, today, we want to look at the other side. Do true believers continue to the end, or do they wash out? Or what do we do with those who wash out? Uh, do, we, uh, do we then conclude that even though God chose them, was keeping them, loved them, uh, put them in his hand, uh, promised they'd permanently stand in grace, even though the son died and applied his blood to their heart, was raised on account of their justification, uh, intercedes for them his own, and uh, defends them when they're accused, and can the work of the Spirit that regenerates be undone? Can his indwelling be ended when he said he'd be in us forever? Can it be ended by us? Uh, can our place in the body of Christ ever be ended? And he puts us out of the body. And can the sealing work of the Spirit be broken? At least 14 things God does to keep honoring sinners like you and I. That uh, you being a sinner has never caught God on surprise. He's made a lot of provision for it. And uh, what we commonly call the security of the believers, the reformers back in the Reformation never used that language. Now, Catholicism always believed you can lose it and threatened you with excommunication for a mortal sin if you didn't make the right uh, moves to come back to the church, have the priests forgive you. But when the Reformation took place and they came out of Rome, then we start all over again. What is the biblical teaching? Well, something that they never used, the Reformers would never use the word eternal security. That, that term comes primarily from Southern Baptist uh, that coined that. It's a good phrase, but it's been abused because it has many connotations. I'm secure no matter how I live. That's how most people take it. Oh, you're saying it doesn't matter how you live, you're eternally secure. So, uh, or it may uh, give images of passivity. Now that I'm saved, uh, I can just kind of go to sleep because it's all on God. I don't have any part to play in it. And so, a passivity in the believer can be uh, all fostered wrongfully, but maybe some take it that way. Well, the Reformers stated it this way. I, I give you a quote by Wayne Grudem. Simple, straightforward. The perseverance of the saints means that all those who are truly born again, and these are in your notes in the bulletin, uh, it means that saints 
who are all truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And that only those who persevere unto the end have been truly born again. Do you hear that? Only those, they would stay if they wanted to include everything, those who have truly been elected by God to receive his salvation, they will receive it and persevere in their walk with the Lord until the end. They won't turn back. That's what the doctrine of perseverance by reformers, Calvinists, those, they would say that. So, what is often ignored is, other words, if you don't continue, we have no assurance you're saved. And that doesn't matter whether you're a uh, Arminian group or if you're a free will Baptist or a Pentecostal. They says, hey, if you backslide, you're going to hell. Well, what Calvinists would say, if you don't continue, we don't think you had it and lost it. We doubt you ever had it. Because those who truly get it persevere unto the end. I think of Carol and I, we were out with some dear Pentecostal friends. We got an 89-year-old aunt here. We were with another 89-year-old woman. 85-year-old sister, all Pentecostal to the bone. Guess what? They don't believe this confounded security, but they just keep persevering because they love him. You can't talk him into going back. Isn't it funny? Go back. Slide a little. Don't want to. And those who are truly saved, now here's the problem. Well, I know someone, you baptize them, they no longer go to church. Does that upset your theology of the security of the believer? No, it just may prove they're not saved. It's easy to be wet and still not be saved. They might be members of this church. I'm convinced we got members that may have slipped in. Who knows? The issue we're talking about, do those truly born of God continue with God, or does that mean it doesn't matter They'll go their way, but they're still secure. Now, there is no security for those who remain in sin. There is no security. And if I'm asked to do the funeral, I'm not going to sprinkle a bunch of grace and say they've got a big dab of eternal security, even though they got shot in a poker game and they were running the bar. No, no, honey. God changes whom he saves. He changes whom he saves. And if you've not been changed, you haven't been saved. Does that sound like holiness? It ought to be. It ought to be. I don't hear you. Every, boy, everybody's quiet because you think, you, you try to say, I don't know where he's going. Nah, that's okay. Carolyn's felt that way for years. <laughs> uh, let me read to you some things that uh, Spurgeon said about the doctrine of perseverance or security. Look at it there in the notes. I must confess that the doctrine of the final preservation of the saints was a bait that my soul could not resist. I thought it was a sort of life insurance, an insurance of my character, an insurance of my soul, 
an insurance of my eternal destiny. I knew that I could not keep myself. But if Christ promised to keep me, then I should be safe forever. And I longed and prayed to find Christ because I knew that if I found him, he would not give me a temporary and trumpery salvation, such as some preach, but eternal life which could never be lost. He went on to say, if anybody could possibly convince me that final perseverance is not a truth of the Bible, I should never preach again, for I feel I should have nothing worth preaching. Imagine, come to Christ. You may not ultimately go to heaven, but you'll, endure, you'll enjoy it while you've got it. But this doesn't guarantee you'll be there, right? Come on. You've got to track with me. If I preach a gospel that doesn't include your keeping and preservation, I'm saying, come to Christ. He'll give you eternal life, but I must qualify. You can forfeit it at any time, but it's yours while you've got it. That's what we wind up saying. Come to a Christ that can save you initially, but he may lose you eventually. That's no gospel at all. That's no gospel at all. I'm only saved if I come this morning, but I may be lost by next week because I may sin next week. I may do something wrong next week. I've lost it. I grew up on that. Just don't sin before you go to bed tonight because he may come. Ooh. Man, I was afraid of God catching me smiling in the shower. I thought it might be sin. Everything was wrong. Everything could be a threat. Is that the gospel? Is that the good news? Is this what God's the author of? Well, listen, the, that doctrine of the final perseverance of the saints is, I believe, as thoroughly bound up with the standing or falling of the gospel as is the article of justification by faith. Give that up, and I see no gospel left. So, persevering in the faith is evidence of being born again. And you read these if passages in the Bible. If you continue, if you this, if don't throw those out, and, and even you folks that think you're secure, you better take those serious. Uh, because they're evidence that the born again will continue. And there are warnings in Hebrews especially of a first generation that are coming to the church that he's addressing in Hebrews. Some have made profession. Some have been listening to the gospel. They've come to see what they're saying. Some signed up for a while. Some wash out. Some get threatened by their Jewish neighbors, and they go back to the temple. Hey, whatever. He's saying, you must continue, or there's no evidence you're saved. And us security folks play that stuff down. We don't even read it. Oh, it doesn't mean that. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews, I'm going to make you break in your Bible today. We're going to look at a few verses. Hebrews 3, look at verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if... We name that we got saved and we're down at Joe's bar. 
No, we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We continue. We hold on. We hold on. We're not going back. Look at verse 14. Whoa, look at this verse. You ought to be using that yellow highlighter right now and, and reading this when you go home. For we have come to share in Christ if we raise our hand in church and make a profession. If we, we were saved for three months, then we bailed. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Saved people are to continue to the end. If you bail out, we have no confidence, no Bible authority for saying you're saved. We just say, you made a start, you made a profession, but you must not have been saved. You know, I can name three places where I got saved, and the fourth one. I got saved in Clovis, California, I thought. We were down there, St. Paul and or the Wileys and everything, in a meeting. I went forward. I was in the altar. I prayed. I, I thought I received Christ. I think I might have been eight, nine years old, wept a lot of tears, and was greatly moved. It lasted about two weeks. I don't know why, but it washed out. Uh, and then I, I got, let's see where else, I got saved. I didn't really get saved, but I went forward. Uh, Berkeley, California, my folks I were a part of a little mission on San Pablo Avenue, Berkeley, California. Uh, then I was about fourth grade. I went forward, and uh, I cried a lot of tears, and I was as sincere as I knew how to be. Uh, I thought I got saved, lasted about two weeks. Uh, I got saved when I was drowning down in uh, Southern California. David and I were with our cousins in, uh, swimming, and I started to drown. And uh, I told the Lord, if he spared my life, I'd live for him. That lasted about a week, and he rescued my life. I would have went to hell had I died, but he did spare my life. So there's at least three I know. And, uh, and I would say, because I went to Pentecostal churches at the altar call, where, where um, they were, when I grew up, many of them were overwhelming overwhelmingly emotional and the sense of the Spirit of God, you had to work hard not to go forward. They were powerful meetings, powerful. I asked Carolus and Pius, what do you miss the most about our Pentecostal background? She said, the convicting work of the Holy Ghost. And I would tell myself, going to church, get through the altar call. You're going to have to hold on. Because I knew if I went forward, they'd expect me to straighten out, and I wasn't ready. But I cried a lot. Sincerely, I was moved. They were powerful meetings. I'm not making fun. I hope you hear me. They were powerful meetings. I had to work hard not to go. I'd weep through... We're going to sing today a closing song, Coming Home. And even as I heard the four, Curtis and my kids singing it, oh, my, my memory bank was flooded. 
those plea softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling. Come home. Woo! You talk about pleading songs. We don't sing any of them because we don't love sinners like we used to. They pled for you to come. Moving, moving. But I still didn't get saved. But one Tuesday night, it took. It finally took. The fourth time, took. And I still washed out for a few months, but God wasn't going to let go. He brought me back within six months, and I've been pursuing him ever since. See, you may have gone to the altar 15 times, said, I got saved, I lost it. No, when you get it, you don't go back. You will continue. You will fail. You will stumble. You have seasons of strain sometimes, of a cold heart, and all the ups and downs of life, but you will continue. You will. And that's what he says, if you hold fast, hold that. So when I'm talking to somebody, say, well, I got eternal security. I'm saying, are you continuing? Well, no, I, I'm, I, I don't like the church. Preachers make me mad, and this, they talk about my, I said, are you following Christ? No, but I got it. No, you don't. No, you don't. You're lost, and you're deceived. God never makes us secure to stay in sin. He's going to bring you out. He's going to lead you to follow the shepherd. Well, don't want to get too animated. I'm not done. Let's go on. Of all passages that is given, everybody fits is Hebrews 6. Turn to it. You've got to always know Hebrews 6. This is a... Uh, much debated passage, and let me just weigh in, since I'm not going to try to unload and unpackage the whole chapter. Let me just give you the broad overview that we're aware it's in the Bible, and we can't ignore it. He says something in verse 4 that is alarming. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Who are these people? Who are these people that he just described there? Uh, I mean, they, uh, they've been enlightened. They tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. Look back in chapter 2. Ch chapter 2 what he did for this generation. He says, uh, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Let me give you the three uh, 
views. I think I've held all three. So right now, you, I'll, have to, I'll tell you the right one. Uh, the, uh, I, I think the most common view is that these are saved people uh, and that they, uh, some say they were not saved, it's just sin, but they, they fell away, they apostated, they just abandoned the faith. And it's, this is a great falling away, not just a sin, but they just denied the faith. And so, so a believer could apostatize and uh, be ultimately lost. That would be the view that uh, many would hold that, hey, you can lose it. If you deny this Christ and uh, reject that you know him, uh, then you're lost. A view that I was taught in seminary that sounded good, and I believed it for years, taught it in this church, was the view that begins the passage in 511, that what their problem was is that they had become dull of hearing, and they had ceased to grow in the Christian life. And when you come to 6.1, he's saying, leave the elementary doctrines and go on to maturity. And so that view says that what they're dealing with is immature believers that are not growing, that are not going on. And so if they should fall away from Christian growth, if they should fall away from uh, being in the Word and uh, just Christian growth, uh, the cure for them, it's impossible to renew them again for them to be saved again, what they need to do is repent, confess, pick up where they left off, where they quit growing, and get back to the Christian life, get back to Christian maturity. And uh, that seemed very logical to me as I first heard it. Then the third view is the view that what is said in verses 4 through 6 he never explicitly calls them believers. He simply says they were ex exposed to first century church, first century miracles, wonders, workings of the Holy Spirit, dynamic uh, witnesses of the gospel, and that they had been exposed and they'd heard such great things. And if they were to not receive that, and to turn away from it, go back to temple, uh, go back to Judaism, and publicly denounce Christ, and publicly say the cross and the Christ are ashamed. I'm staying with Judaism. I'm not going to follow this. I understand what they've said. I've been in meetings I can't explain. I've since and seen healings, miracles. I've seen the power of God on display but I still, I, I don't want it. But I've been exposed in a great way. And uh, some of the arguments there is that the word enlightened literally was the word to learn. That they had learned the gospel from the church, from the early Jewish witnesses. They had tasted, but it didn't mean they had partaken. It was used of Christ on the cross. He tasted the vinegar. He didn't drink all of it. That they had tasted of things from another world. They had seen the Holy Spirit working in a congregational meeting. And they knew God 
was preaching through these preachers. They knew something divine was going on, and they came to a point in their life, I don't want it. I don't want it. I've seen it. I'm going back to my Judaism. I'm going back. I don't want it. And something that lends to the argument that these are phrases that describe people under the influence of the Holy Spirit, but not necessarily saved, is the word saved is not used of them. Uh, they're not said to be adopted here. They're not called sons. They're not called born again. He's just describing things you've been exposed to. Now watch how he illustrates it. Verse uh, 7 and 8. Watch this. Follow me. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Now, here's what he's saying. I'm writing to many of you in this Jewish congregation that you've been exposed to the rain from heaven. You've been exposed to the Holy Spirit. You've been enlightened as to what we Jewish Christians believe. We've told you about Messiah. We've told you about his death, about his resurrection. You're informed. We've been informing you. We've been showing you the divine work of God in our midst. Now, God has been raining down on this congregation, and we don't know what's in the ground. The rain is coming and has fallen. Now let's see what's in the ground. Oh, how's one responding? Oh, I look down here. One is fruitful. One is producing a crop, and it receives a blessing from God. The soil, you remember the parable of the four soils? Only one bore any fruit. The other three began, but they didn't continue, and they never bore fruit. He's saying, there's some in this congregation, the rain has begun to produce a fruit in you. We can see it. You're saved. You've been changed. On the other hand, if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. This is divine judgment. The, the ground is yielding nothing but thorns and things fit for the fire. And this is not the language of blessing. It's the language of judgment. The baptism of fire, divine judgment. So he said, the same rain is yielding two things. With one ground, it's yielding thorns. With the other, it's yielding fruit. So in God's church, when we preach the gospel and the rain of the Spirit and the blessings of heaven rain on us, look around us. With some of you, it's bearing fruit. With others, all you've got right now is thorns and thistles. Same rain, different seed in the ground. People have grown up in church all their life. They can tell you the gospel backwards and forward. They can get sentimental if they started singing further along. But they're not saved. There's no fruit. They've only borne things for themselves. They don't have any of the products of heaven. Why? The soil has not been changed by the Spirit of God, but they know it all. 
They know Amazing Grace. Watch country music. Oh, they, all the, you know, once those guys get famous, they all make a, a country album about hymns while not knowing him. It's their culture. They grew up with roots that way. Not saved, just sentimental. I like to make a dollar off of grandma. Then he goes on. Watch verse 9. Are you there? Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, your case, who you been talking to? Well, I've been talking to a category of people that have witnessed the Spirit, have repented of some things, tasted the heavenly gift, seen the Holy Spirit work, and some of them are bearing thorns and thistles, and there's nothing being yielded. Now, I'm going to talk about your case. Who's your case? Well, we'll find out. Beloved, obviously the saved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Wait, wait. There's something about some of you folks out there. You have better things than what I just described. Well, what could be better than all this? Verse, watch, verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. Oh, you've done work for God, right? And the love that you've shown. You mean, and God's poured his love out in their heart, and they're loving the saints and serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You know what? I'm talking to an audience. One audience, uh, you might be the thorns and thistle part. But I know there's some of you out there that I know are saved, and I'm persuaded there's better things I could say of you, better things than even just being touched by the Spirit, being enlightened. No, you've gone on to love. You've gone on to work for God. You've gone on to serve God. You've gone on to do those things that come with being saved. It's for part of your salvation. You, I know, were not described as the soil that bore thorns and thistles. So I think what he's saying is that I'm describing those who were exposed, touched, but never changed. They wept through services. They may have even gone to the altar but they never embraced Christ to be saved. And in time, they gave him up. I don't think it's as radical in our churches, but it was radical in first century Judaism. When they turned to Christ, it was radical. And to own him and then to go back, he says it will be impossible for you to ever be renewed if you give up Christ. If you go back to the temple, if you go back to Judaism, it will be impossible to be restored to a Christ you publicly disown. So I think he's talking about those that aren't saved. Well, uh, I just put in the notes, and I think I want to take about 10 minutes for Q&A because you may have questions and you deserve to ask them. Uh, you must know that we know many people who profess to be saved uh, are not saved. Do you know that? They, they say, Lord, Lord, we know you, but they're not. 
They're on the row. They're on the board. They may be sitting next to you, but their walk says they're not saved. And people ask me, well, uh, what about that person? I said, what about them? The greatest way I know they know God is they continue to walk with him. Well, what about they're out in sin now, or, or they did this sin? Well, you've got to know in the household of faith, we've had some big sinners. When, when you got King David writing your sacred hymn book, the music department fell into big sin, went to bed with the wrong woman and killed a man. See, Christians can't do that. Well, David did. Do you think he was saved? It doesn't matter what you think, honey. He was. Your vote won't determine it. God's, I wonder, has God ever said about you, you're a man after my own heart? Scary what Christians can do. Scary what Christians can do. Um, when I was at a Bible college, we, we were on the scuttlebutt, it seemed, of everything going on in the denomination. We knew every preacher that was falling into sin it, because it, I don't know, it just gathered. It, it, it came to the school, and, and I'm in my 20s, and these students are young, and this guy fell, and uh, who might have been a district leader, and uh, he, oh, he's with another woman, or this is with that one and that, and I got scared. And one day, I came home, and I thought, I was doing something noble when I told Carolyn, let's get out of the ministry. I'm scared. I want to get out of the ministry. She said, why? I said, I'm next. I'm next. I can't keep myself. I guess when you get saved, you aren't kept, and I'm scared. I, at least if I'm going to do it, I want to be out of the ministry. What a comfort that was to her. I don't mind failing you. I just don't want to bring any shame on Christ. So I'll get out. At least that'd be honorable. When he sinned, he just was, broke his vows and broke the heart of his parents, his brothers and sisters, and his children. But at least he wasn't a pastor. And I was so scared. I said, I want to go see my dad. So he drove over. He said, what's going on? I said, I'm scared, dad. When am I going to run off with somebody? He said, I don't know. You got any plans? I, well, I, I don't, but I'm scared. I'm weak. I'm young. God can never be bigger than hormones, can he? Sex is stronger than omnipotence. Just can't, because men can't keep our pants zipped. So we talk about the Holy Ghost in a Pentecostal group, but nobody's keeping their pants zipped. I went out. I'm afraid of being in the ministry. I don't want to be the next scandal. I'm 25. And my dad got me in the bedroom. That's when he got serious. He usually got your spankings in the bedroom. We got in there, and he only had one eye, and he just kind of, you know, he had a way. Us boys, we're here, we know. He said, well, he didn't get all, he said, let's, let's read this, son. Now, fourth grade education, so you didn't read quick. Now, to him who is able to keep you. Now, 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 is that talking about you, son? No, Dad, you, I know that's God. Well, I just wanted to see if you knew it. You're over there at Bible college. I just wanted to see. 
now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Now, having preached yet, you're getting happy. Wait, let me read this verse. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. And that's Jude 24 and 25. And Lawrence did this. If I had called him that, he would have hit me. L.J. Howard, he just lifted his hand and he looked at me. He said, I ask you one question. Is he able? He said, is he able? And, I, and I, I'm, said, I'm just listening. He said, if he's not, let's throw out the whole thing for preaching lies to people. Let's quit our lying. But I think heaven and earth is going to pass away before he does, breaks that promise. He said he can keep you, son. He's bigger than women. He's bigger than booze. He's bigger than temptation. He's bigger than anything the devil's got. He can keep his own. He can keep his own. And you think I'm telling you to go out here and burn up the town because we believe grace? No. What shall we sin that grace may abound? May it never be. How shall he who died to sin now practice sin? Apostates, Jude said in Jude 4, they will turn the grace of God into licentiousness to sin. You're a false teacher if you turn God's grace into an excuse to sin. How can you sin against him who bled for you? How can this keeping make you want to sin against him? All I can say, I, I think I can now say it running towards 70s, I have been young. And I am getting old, but he can keep you. He can keep you. He can keep you. He can keep you. And the church, praise the Lamb. Praise him. Thank you, Lord. You can keep. You can keep. You can keep. My heart is prone to wonder. I've had to pray a thousand times since that day. Revive my heart. I'm cold. I'm lukewarm. I feel... I, semi-backslid in my heart, and I've sought him a thousand times. Warm my heart. Make me weep over a lost world. Deliver me from the lukewarmness that blows through the American church. We're a cold church in America. Cold, cold as ice. Cold as ice. Prayer meetings have died, and few preachers get to yell at you as much as I do. That's why I hang out here. The rest of them get nervous. Don't book me too much because I get to feel the fire of heaven that says, I want to know him, I want to be true to him, and I want to say, he can keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Amen. He can keep. And I'm not saying you've got to permit now to go out and say, if you read that, if you get it, I'm going to say you're unsaved and you've got false ears, you need an earwax job. You need your ears cleaned out, honey. Because this gospel 
will make you pursue holiness. It will pursue right. It will not give you a white glove over a dirty life. It will clean you from the inside out, make you walk right, talk right, live right. It's not a license to sin. No license to sin. Well, I, uh, I asked my children, I want you to sing after this service because there might be a David that you're still hiding out. You've been sleeping with Bathsheba and Nathan hasn't come to your house yet. Well, I'm here as God's Nathan. If you're in sin in this service, we're going to sing what I grew up on, coming home. You need to come home. You got to tell her it's over. The man of God's got my number. And I'm a sheep. I can sin. But, but the shepherd's got his crook around my neck. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Some of you teenagers, you think this sex-crazed era of America, you think that's normal for a believer, you're in sin. Let me tell you, you might be going to hell. You can't name Christ and remain in sin. Let him who names the name of Christ depart from sin. For the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. 2 Timothy 2.19. He knows who's his. I want us to sing, and we're going to sing forever. Backslider in this place. And what I mean by backslider, I think you might be saved, but I think you might have wandered away. I don't think you lost it, and you'll hear the voice of the shepherd. And I hope you will respond like I did as an unsaved teenage boy on the third row at 15th and Cutting. At least let your emotions be stirred that God loves you so much. He would say, though you've sinned, and though you've chosen the idols of this world, I'm begging you, come home.